Hello and welcome to Hillcrest to Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman shares a message titled, Facing Your Pontius Pilate. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Today's message is from John chapter 19, verses 5 through 16. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back into the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place, of, at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, John, for reading today's scripture. God can use your pain in some small part of his plan to restore this world to its right order. And why do I believe that? Because of this encounter of Jesus before Pilate. We're in the middle of a series through the last four chapters of John's Gospel. And in these chapters, the Apostle John recounts the death and the glorious resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And we often think of Christ's death as the way to our salvation. And we should, because it is. But I do think that some of us have too narrow an understanding of salvation. We think of salvation as something that will eventually benefit us on the other side of this life. After our death, when we stand before God's judgment, we will be glad then that God has saved us. And that is true and that is good. But like I said, that can be perhaps too narrow because the Bible lets us know that the cross of Christ is not only the way we get saved, the cross of Christ is the way we live saved. We look to the cross, we look to the whole experience of Jesus approaching the cross and suffering the cross, and we learn how to live the saved life from that. Just as a few examples, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're told that because Jesus gave up the riches of heaven, You and I need to be more generous to those who are in need. And so we need to be more generous because of the cross. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, we're told that because Christ gave up his life for his bride, we husbands need to pay better attention to our marriages. And so if you want to improve your marriage, you look to the cross. In Philippians chapter 2, we're told that as Jesus humbly served us on the cross, you and I must humbly serve each other in the church. And so if you want to improve friendships and if you want to improve the, the, uh, the, the strength of our fellowship as a church, you look to the cross. In Romans chapter 6, we're told to rise above old habits because all of those things were to have died when Jesus died. And so if you want to live a healthier life emotionally and physically, if you want to break old habits and start good new ones, then you need to look to the cross. In Colossians chapter 3, we're told to forgive others as Christ, as God and Christ has forgiven us. And so if you want to be free of resentment and bitterness, then you look to the cross. So did you catch it? Over and over again, we are told to learn how to live by looking at how Jesus died. The cross is the way we get saved, and the cross is the way we live saved. Now this includes the times that we are mistreated and handled unjustly by people. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, Simon Peter wrote, If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now there it is again. His death was our example so that we should follow in his steps. It is the way we get saved for sure, but it is also the way that we live saved. Simon Peter said that we need to be ready to endure when we undergo suffering unjustly, just as Jesus endured when he underwent unjust suffering. I wonder if you've ever had to endure unjust suffering, unfair treatment. Has there ever been a time that you were bullied, that you were lied about, that you were overlooked, that you were denied something that was rightfully yours? If so, and you talk about it to Jesus, you might, if you're quiet enough, hear him say, been there, experienced that. For 2,000 years, Pilate has been remembered for failing his most important character test. The Jewish leadership wanted Jesus killed, but since they had no authority to do this themselves, they had to ask the Roman authorities to do this. Now, Pilate was responsible for upholding that famous Roman justice in his area. Uh, and, and this is what brought about his most important character test, because he knew that to execute Jesus, as the Jewish leadership wanted, would be to abdicate that famous Roman justice he was responsible to uphold. But he also knew that to refuse to execute Jesus would so rock the boat in his region that he would probably lose his job. In the end, Pilate did what was good for Pilate. Pilate was a procurator. Procurators were governors who governed a region by the direct authority of the emperor in Rome. And so this would have been Tiberius Caesar who ruled in Rome. And when Judea was conquered by the Romans, it was a, a strategically important region. And so the emperor himself would appoint somebody to rule over this region. And so he appointed and directly supervised this man named Pontius Pilate. Now historical references to Pilate, both inside the Bible and outside the Bible, revealed a man who re repeatedly outraged his Jewish subjects. And, and you can imagine every time that Tiberius Caesar 
heard of yet another uh, season of instability in Judea. He just had to wonder if he had the right guy in Judea for the job. In fact, on more than one occasion, according to history, Caesar reprimanded Pilate for his decisions or even reversed Pilate's decisions when it looked like this incompetent man was going to have an insurrection on his hands. Now, this is the background for Jesus' trial before Pilate in the Gospel of John. For our scripture reading this morning, I asked uh, John to read just 10 uh, verses from John chapter 19, but the whole encounter of Jesus before Pilate begins at halfway through chapter 18 and goes to halfway through John chapter 19. And in the whole encounter with Jesus, we see Pilate as a conflicted man. As I said, on the one hand, there seems to be this real reluctance on his part to uh, do something unjust and execute Jesus for uh, something that uh, he didn't see Jesus needed to be executed for. On the other hand, he knew he would put his career at risk uh, if he uh, went ahead and let Jesus go. You look at John 18 and John 19, and, and someone is counted seven times. There's that number seven again. Every time we've studied through the Gospel of John, these, these many months that we've been going through this, this book of the Bible, we've seen this number seven show up over and over again. And somebody's counted seven times where they see Pilate going out and coming in and going out and coming in. So he goes out to talk to the Jewish leadership. He goes in to talk privately to Jesus. And then he goes out again to talk to the Jewish leadership. Seven times this going out and coming in shows up. And this physical wavering going back and forth and back and forth seems to be a, a, a picture of the emotional wavering that's going on inside Pilate as he goes back and forth and back and forth between Pilate, the proper judge, and Pilate, the calculating politician. And in the end, we see Pilate, the calculating politician, ends up winning. It all began very early on a Friday morning. The Jewish ruling body, known as the Sanhedrin, had already had their judgment over Jesus. Uh, we saw this last week in our study through these last four chapters of the Gospel of John. We saw the, the trial that uh, Jesus underwent before the uh, Jewish high priest and the leadership. And uh, so they had arrested Jesus. They sentenced him to die for claiming to be the Son of God, which was either absolutely true or absolute blasphemy. And they decided to choose absolute blasphemy. And they decided he needed to be put to death. But as I said already, it was going to be impossible for them to do this themselves because even though their Roman rulers had given them the ability to handle a lot of, uh, of their own affairs in Judea, Capital punishment was taken away from them. Only the Roman government could uh, execute somebody. And uh, in his book, in Pilate's uh, book, what, what these Jews uh, would have been claiming, that Jesus had committed religious blasphemy, wouldn't have counted one bit to him. This would have just been something within their Jewish law. They could take care of it themselves. And the Jewish leadership knew this, so they did not bring a blasphemy charge before Pilate, but they did bring something that Pilate would have to investigate. They said that Jesus had claimed to be king. Now, in an area that was filled with so many insurrections, one after another, so many attacks against Roman authority, that would have to be looked into. So Pilate went in and he went out, he went in and went out. In this instance, he went in to where Jesus was kept. And in John chapter 18, verse 33, he asks Jesus directly, are you, do you consider yourself the king of the Jews? And now things get interesting here. All four gospels present the fact that Jesus uh, was on trial before Pilate. But it's only the gospel of John that gives us so much detail about this trial 
before Pilate. And when Pilate wanted to know if Jesus claimed to be king, Jesus confirmed Pilate's statement. And he said, in fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And you catch what Jesus is doing here? He's probing Pilate. He is investigating to see if there's some crack in Pilate's armor through which he can enter. He is saying, if you're interested in the truth, you ought to be interested in hearing from me. This is absolutely remarkable. As you read through John chapter 18 and 19, it's very difficult to know whether Jesus is on trial before Pilate or if Pilate is on trial before Jesus. Jesus is investigating. He's checking out Pilate at this point. Now, as we as a church have moved through the Gospel of John over these several months, uh, we have seen Jesus do this frequently with different people he encounters. He probes them. He investigates to see if they're interested in finding out who he really is. The remarkable thing is this is what he's doing with the Roman governor who is there to investigate whether he is worthy to die. And so uh, Jesus does affirm, in fact, that he is uh, king. Now, Pilate shrugs off Jesus' invitation to consider anything else, but nevertheless, he, he finds nothing in Roman law that would warrant putting him to death. And he goes out and tells the Jewish leadership this fact, and a member of the Sanhedrin steps forward and responds, we have a law, and by that law, he ought to die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Now, they were saying the thing that they had preferred to not say because they knew that that would be irrelevant to Pilate. But this was the point of frustration, and somebody shared that this was what they were frustrated about, that this man had claimed to be the Son of God. And, and, and at this point, Pilate is visibly shaken. Did you notice that in this passage? Uh, the Son of God, this claim that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, he left, that left Pilate shaken. Now why? In Roman stories, Gods and goddesses would sometimes come down to this earth and consort with human beings. And the human offspring that would come from those encounters would be half divine, half human. So some of you know, you, you know your Greek and, and Roman mythology, and you know that Hercules, for example, was regarded as this half divine, half human being that came from an encounter between a, a, a god and a, and a human woman. And, and, and so there were those stories, but I'm sure Pilate, as an adult, as a hardened soldier, he just thought he had left all of those stories behind in the nursery room. But here's somebody who maybe had been a real live example of one of those stories come to life right in front of him. Now, you, you add to that, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Pilate's wife had sent a note to Pilate in the midst of the trial. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Pilate's wife had sent this note saying, have nothing to do with the death of this innocent man. My dreams have been troubled by him, or that my dreams were troubled by him last night. Have nothing to do with him. And, and so you see how this all swirls together in Pilate's mind. Here Jesus says that he is a king of a mysterious otherworldly kingdom. Uh, he hears that Jesus has claimed to be the Son of God. He gets this note from his wife, have nothing to do with this man. Dreams were, were understood as places where the gods kind of reported to people what they needed to know about things. All of this came together in Pilate's superstitious mind, and he very much wanted to get rid of this entire situation himself. 
and, and, and so he goes back out to the Jewish leadership and he's either moved by the sense of justice or a sense of superstition and he's about to make his final decision to let Jesus go and the Jewish leadership play their trump card, their winning card at this point. He, they say, if you do this, you are no friend of Caesar. Now this was hanging like a cloud over the entire trial. I told you earlier that not only in accordance with the Bible's testimony, but also the testimony of extra biblical history, we know that Pilate was often in trouble with Tiberius Caesar. And so now uh, this Jewish leadership knows that this guy's in trouble with Tiberius Caesar. And they say, if you do this, you're no friend of Caesar. If you do this, there will be a ruckus in this area and, and, the, and the blame will be laid at your feet. And Tiberius Caesar will know this. And, and, and that's when, according to the Gospel of Matthew, Pilate calls for this bowl of water and he washes his hands in front of the Jewish leadership and he says, I wash my hands of this innocent man's blood. If you've ever heard somebody in our culture say that they've decided to wash their hands of a situation, that comes from the story of Jesus before Pilate. So Pilate calls for this bowl, according to the Gospel of Matthew. He washes his hands in the water he washes his hands of the situation. He turns to his soldiers and he says, do it. And they carry Jesus away to be crucified, as we'll see next week. Now, on a human level, Jesus' life was in the hands of a man who was sworn to uphold that famous Roman justice. And that man let Jesus down. Pilate decided to do what was best for Pilate. Have you met your Pontius Pilate yet? You know, Jesus told us in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus said, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. He was warning us that if he suffered mistreatment, if he suffered injustice, be ready for it sometimes yourself. At some point in your life, your job, your reputation, your future, something near and dear to you is going to be in the hands of one person who can make you or break you and they will decide to treat you unjustly. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about somebody who fails to give you what you want. I'm talking about somebody who fails to give you what you deserve. There are numerous decisions that people make over us all the time regarding scholarships or an opportunity to be on the team or a promotion, or a bank loan. There are all kinds of things that we want, and we're disappointed when somebody doesn't give us that, but we understand that the process was reasonably fair. I'm not talking about somebody failing to give you what you want. Right now, I'm talking about somebody failing to give you what you deserve. There's going to be a time when it's entirely in the hands of one person to decide to treat you fairly or unfairly and out of self-preservation or just indifference, they decide to treat you unfairly. Now, when that happens, when that time comes, when you meet your Pontius Pilate, you need to go back to the cross because the cross is the way not only that we get saved, it's the way that we live saved. And we see in this passage of scripture that as Jesus was brought to the cross and nailed to the cross, the Bible tells us that this was the way that God accomplished the redemption of the world. This was the way that God accomplished the salvation of the world. Now, believer, if you believe that God could take something as tragic 
and as heartbreaking and as ugly as the cross and use it to accomplish something as beautiful and wonderful as the salvation of the world, don't you believe that God can do that for you as well? Don't you believe that God can take something that is tragic and ugly and heartbreaking in your own life and use it in some redemptive way for your own sake or for the sake of the people around you who know you? If you haven't memorized it yet, there's a Bible verse that you need to memorize. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. This passage says, and we know this, we don't always feel this emotionally because we have our highs and lows and our ups and downs emotionally, but we, we know it intellectually, know it by faith that God works in all things, not just in the successes and the victories, but also in the heartbreaks and the failures and the mistreatment and the bullying and the injustice. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. When you face your Pontius Pilate, not if, but when you face your Pontius Pilate, you can endure that sting of injustice with grace and dignity if you keep all of this in mind. God can use your mistreatment. God can use your betrayal in some small way in his process of redeeming this world back to himself. Now, as we continue through our study of John's gospel, we're going to see how God raised Jesus gloriously from the dead. And uh, we like that part of the story. Uh, that story is about uh, victory. That story is about vindication. That story is about rising above what your enemies intend for you. And we love that part of the story. And we say with the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And, 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 we, and we want that and we desire that because it's true. It is true, isn't it? There is coming a time, either in this life or in the next one, when we're going to be uh, paid back for all the mistreatment we experience. We're going to experience vindication and restoration in this life or in the next. It's wonderful to know that we're going to know the power of Jesus' resurrection. But some of you know that Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 keeps going. And Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 goes like this. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. The Apostle Paul was saying, I don't care what it takes. I just want to know Jesus. I want to experience everything that Jesus experienced if it just brings me closer to him. If it's victory and vindication, that's what I want to experience. If it's suffering and mistreatment like Jesus, that's what I want to experience too because he did. Anything that brings me closer to Jesus is something that I want to experience. That's what Paul was saying. Are you there yet? I'm not always there. I don't pray like that all the time. But we need to get to the point of Christian maturity where we can pray not only for vindication and victory, but also for the understanding that God redeems through our suffering and through our challenges, through our mistreatment, through our difficulty. And, and, and so when we look at the cross, we see the way to get saved. And when we look at the cross, we see the way to live saved. Jesus told us that the servant is not above the master. And so if the master suffered physical harm from time to time, you're going to suffer physical difficulty. And if the master knew heartbreak and loneliness, there's going to be times when you know heartbreak and loneliness. 
And if Jesus experienced injustice at the hands of those who are responsible to uphold justice, then there's going to be times when people throw you under the bus. But we can withstand those times, we can endure those times if we know that God can bring redemption out of it and restoration for it. So we look to the cross, the place where we can get saved, and we look to the cross, the place where we can live saved. And so my invitation today is for those who need to get saved and for those of us who need to live saved. For those of us who need to get saved, my challenge to you is to look to the cross. The cross is the place where God took on the punishment we deserve for our sin. God the judge came down to be God our Savior, bore our punishment on the cross in Jesus so that we might not have to bear that punishment in eternity ourselves. We get saved by looking to the cross and trusting what happened there. But then, as people who've gotten saved, we live saved day by day by looking at the way that Jesus emptied himself, divested himself of heaven's privileges to come down and live our kind of life, deal with our mistreatment, our loneliness, experience it himself, and then go to the cross and die on it, and still trusting in Father God, still forgiving his enemies, still believing that God was going to bring redemption out of it. And, and as we look then to the way that Jesus handled his death, not just the fact that Jesus died, but the way that Jesus handled his death, we can become the kind of people that God wants us to be. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray right now for those who need to enter into your salvation by believing that the suffering of Jesus was for them. I pray that you'll help them see that they can be free from the burden of sin and failure by trusting that Jesus died to take their sin away. And I pray for those who've been saved, who've looked at that and trusted that truth, and I pray that you will help us see that the cross is the pattern for a whole new way to live. As Jesus endured mistreatment, we need to be ready for it. As Jesus forgave his oppressors, we need to forgive those who mistreat us. As Jesus trusted in your plan, we need to trust in your plan, Father. We want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Help us to do that. These things we pray in the wonderful name of the Jesus who saved us and set a pattern for how to live. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a sermon titled, How to Shed Your Shame. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest to Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.